longer in that parental stages or we direct and tell them what to do on, on a daily basis. Am I really hot? Can you guys hear me well? You can hear me okay? All right, just making sh It's what? It's uh, I am hot, yes, I am. Um, anyway, <laughs> so it's hard enough for me to stay on point, and when people distract me, it's, it doesn't help me at all. Um, but it's interesting that our kids now, they're on their own, and, and we are now walking more side by side with our kids. And we, they call us for advice, and they call us for, 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 for counsel sometimes. Uh, I don't agree with every decision my kids make. How many of you guys are there with me on that one? But you know, it's interesting. I look back like last week and I made some decisions that I don't even agree with what I made that, those decisions last week. You know, so there's times I make decisions that I'm not even happy with afterwards. You know, and so when I, when I reflect about Children's Church, this is where I'm going with Christy's announcements, I have um, a, a conflict with Children's Church. One, because I love to see the kids in church on, on a Sunday daily, on a Sunday monthly basis, or weekly basis. I love to see the young people. I love to see them doing their things with mom and dad and grandma and grandpa. But I also understand that kids are also a major distraction. Grandchild, whoever they are, they are, they are a distraction. But sometimes I wonder with children's church, as parents, as grandparents, do we just send our kids back to children's church so someone else can teach them who Christ is? Do we send them to children's church just to get an hour of relief? And I understand, sometimes we do. But what I get excited about is when we send our kids off to children's church and they're learning who Jesus is, and then you as parents, you as grandma and grandpa, all right, it's going to be an interesting service, because uh, I, are we echoing? Steve is messing around with things. Um, but I, I can tell you, when, when you go home and you spend time with your kids, and you talk to them who Jesus is, you teach them how to pray, you teach them and you disciple them, and the church comes along with you, walking with you, that is what we want here at Ordinary Faith. We don't want you as parents, as a grandparents, to just send your kids off and do their thing, and you just go home after church and don't do anything else. We really, really want to encourage you to start discipling your children and have the church walk along aside with you and teach your children who Jesus is. And so I'm making a commitment to you. I can't attend Monday nights, but if you're going to send people at your kids' children's church, what I would like to do is to be able to meet with you on a one-to-one -one basis. I'll take you out to coffee. I'll take you out for a Red Bull, whatever you drink, as long as it's non-alcoholic, and, and we'll be good to go. And um, I want to just share with you on how to share your faith with your kids, on how to teach your kids how to pray, uh, and it's just have a discussion with your kids on who Jesus is. So I'm making that commitment to you. And so if you're going to send your kids to Children's Church, you and I, hopefully, if you allow, are going to have an appointment together where we can talk about discipling your children and getting them ready for the world. So I'm excited about that. And here's, here's the beautiful thing is, since our kids are, are gone, they're not out of our house yet, most of them are, they come back and they leave again. There's one thing I'd probably do differently as a father. I'm relatively younger compared to a lot of people I know, the people I hang out. I just am. I'm hot and I'm younger, so that's a good thing. Uh, and my number is, not really, I'm married. Um, you know, with, with that... <laughs> Oh, I'm, I am good. Uh, anyway, so 
Um, I just lost my point, all, my, my thought process altogether. Oh, here's the squirrel. Here's the thing I, I would want to do as a father, okay? Between all the sports, even if you have one kid, you're busy as parents. You're busy with school. You're busy with, with football. You're busy with track, indoor track, outdoor track, cross country, baseball. You're busy with a lot of that stuff. One thing I would do differently, if I could go back, and I wouldn't want to just spend quantity time with my children, I would want to spend quality time with my kids and have more and more conversations on who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son, the living God. Amen. We did a lot of that during the time our kids were growing up. But I will tell you, my friends, we get so busy that sometimes we lose focus and we get distracted with what's going on around us. So parents, grandparents, teach your children who Jesus is. The most important thing. And that's what I challenge you today. That's the end of our service, so we are ready to go home. Let's pray. No, just joking. Just joking. All right. So we're about to get in our sermon today. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. And I'm probably going to mess up the slide, guys, but that's okay. It's interesting that Steve, Michael, and I, we talked about connection this week. Basically connecting with people. Uh, you know, one thing I, I love about church is coming together on Sunday mornings. You see people that you love. You see people you want to hang around with. You, you, you have that connection. But as we talked about this week, there's a lot of disconnect going on right now. The people on, on Facebook, the people watching us live right now, there are a lot of people not connecting at this moment. And, and throughout my sermon, I was preparing this. I was talking about... I was preparing things on how to connect with Lord, the Lord, but also how to connect with people as well. And one thing, I, I want to share the story, that uh, Spencer came home from the military. He was with us for like 10 or 11 days, however long he was. We took him back to the airport yesterday. As we're, well, we take him to the hotel. As we're saying our goodbyes, I do my, my, my goodbye as a dad, and you know, it's, a, it's a hug. And then mom hugs him, and it's a, it's a hug that's it's a long hug. And I'm thinking, okay, Michael, don't get impatient. It's, it's a very touching moment. You know, and they're hugging, and they're hugging, and I'm thinking, we have things to do, but I didn't say a word. I was really good. Anyway, at the end, I see tears in my, my wife's eyes, and um, she, she's, she's emotional. She's saying goodbye to her son once again. We will see him again. And it was just a, it was a moment that I, I thought connection is so important, on just, a, just a physical touch, on a, on a hug, holding hands. Just, just a, a, an elbow bump, a fist bump, whatever you got. Connection is so important to the church. And we are missing out on that because what is going on in our world today? And so once we get back to town yesterday, I wanted to, I wanted to run. So I went to, to Planet Fitness. I was running. I was listening to, to Footloose as I was running because one of my motivation things. I'm an older guy, so Footloose is one of my motivation tools, you know, um, I know people make fun of me at Footloof because I start singing uh, Planet Fitness. Well, during that time, I received a text message. A text message during my Footloose song and while I'm running, the last thing I want. But it came from this guy. His name is Steve. He's tall. He's big. And, um, I, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> this is what Steve texted me last night. I was in t basically two miles and uh, 2.35 miles into my run, trying to get to three. And this is what Steve says, because I was about to give up. I just wanted to quit running at that moment. Father God, bless Michael as he prepares for tomorrow, and give him a good night's rest. Amen. 
That's all there was. I finished my run. I was excited. I could have done more, but I decided not to. And I was so, so touched by a two-sentence text. By just a two-sentence text that someone was praying for me. And they let me know that they were praying for me. And I just thought, man, that is very, very powerful. And that's what we talked about earlier in the week. And I thought, how, how hard would it be for us, for how many people are here right now, to reach out to someone and just to let them know that we're praying for them? Just to let them know that we're thinking about them. Just to let them know, hey, I know you have four kids. You have three kids. And it's hard sometimes. I want to just let you know I'm here for you. Or whatever message it would be. So when this sermon, as we look through Luke chapter 5, there was four friends that had a, 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 a friend who was paralyzed. He couldn't move. He couldn't, he couldn't walk. He was lame. And during that period, these four guys wanted to do something special for their friend. And that's what we're going to get into today. But as we talk about this sermon today, as we read the scripture, I want you to think in the back of your mind, who could I reach out today to make a connection with? Who could I send a simple, a quick note, a quick a response to someone? Let them know that, that you love them, that you care for them. Maybe it's someone you've never touched or texted before. Maybe that's what God has laid upon your heart. So let's go ahead and read, if you will, me, Luke chapter 5, 17 through 26. This is a phenomenal story because these people, these four friends, were expecting great things from Jesus Christ. They were expecting great things from Jesus Christ. Let's read together. One day, Jesus, I hope I have the same, transla- same translation. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with them, was with Jesus, to heal the sick. I want you to read that again. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying, I'm so sorry, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him to the house laid before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. I just want to back up one point. I'm going to cover this again, but verse 20 says this. When Jesus saw their faith, he said. You understand who he's talking about? Jesus is talking about the four friends' faith as they lower him down. Jesus is not talking about the man who is paralyzed. He's not talking about the one who is lame. He's not talking about the person who is being taken care of, being lowered down. But he's talking about the friend's faith. He says, your faith. Your faith, the friends' faith, I think that's a huge point. And verse 21 says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to think to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew that whether they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. That's exciting. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. 
And my friends, I get excited about that because I see the expectations. I expect certain things from God, not because he's required to. That's why we have children's church right there. <laughs> you got to love her. You got to love her. Um, she's a sweetheart. And she knows how to distract Papa. So, what, but you, you, that completely off guard. Now, um, but this is where we should be expecting things to happen from God. Not just at a coincidence. And I know God's not going to answer all my prayers the way I want Him to answer my prayers. But I know God is going to answer prayers. And I want you to understand today that as we look at this situation, as we look at God is God who is Christ, Christ who is God, who He is the mighty Savior of the world, which we're going to tell a little later in the, in the Scripture. I want you to understand we should have an expectation from God to do miraculous things in our lives, to be able to take someone who is in a desperate situation, who is not a believer in Christ, who is doing horrible things, we should have the expectation that God can and He could and He possibly will save that person and bring them into the relationship with our Heavenly Father. That's what we should be expecting. But my friends, I tell you, I don't know about you, but I know sometimes I give up. How many people have you, have you ever given up on someone that you just think there's no way in the world that this person's going to change? There's no way in the world this person's going to give their life over to Christ. There's no way in the world this person's going to quit doing stupid things. But eventually, and we see through scriptures, we see through people's testimonies, how where they were at one particular point and God got a hold of them and changed their lives and now they're bringing people into the kingdom of God. As we look at the scripture, I've got to give you a little background. In earlier chapter 5, and I'm going to try to slow down because Barbara told me I need to slow down so she can hear me and understand what I'm saying. During, earlier in chapter 5, Jesus heals a leper. A man who is completely has leprosy, he's supposed to be staying away from people. Jesus comes to this guy and says, hey, if you are willing, the leper, means, the leper said, hey, if you're willing, Jesus, Jesus, I am willing. And Jesus heals this guy from leprosy, a disease that's not curable at the present time. And with, during this time, the popularity of Jesus' ministry exploded. Who wouldn't want to hang around Jesus? He heals you. He feeds you. He really basically takes care of you. Who would not want to hang around Jesus? And throughout the whole scriptures, you see later on, no one wanted to hang around with Jesus. No one wanted to hang around Jesus. But this is a difficult time because Jesus has healed a person. And one thing that Jesus does continually on a daily basis, once he does something, he withdraws from the crowd. And he's isolated and he stays with his father. He prays with his father. He knows that important time of being alone with the Heavenly Father and be able to time to be recuperate and be able to restore his, his strength and so on and so forth. This brings us to this area when verses 17, the story of the friends bringing their paralyzed buddy to the Lord. One of my favorite stories I've said before, it embodies so much of what you and I need to know about Jesus and experience. Verse 17, kind of going back, there's a sentence I want you to notice. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Why was the power of the Lord with him? First, because Jesus Christ is God. As, as Steve said earlier, that who do men say that you are? You are Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God incarnate. Remember what Isaiah said about him in prophecy. He shall be called mighty God. Plain and simple, the mighty God is a powerful God. One that we should receive and understand expectations of who God is. Secondly, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. 
When Jesus had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit descended on him and in bodily form like a dove. And what did Jesus say to us in Acts about the power of the Holy Spirit? You have received the Holy Spirit. One thing I, I think before I go on, I think there are a lot of Christians doing things in our own power and our own might rather than leaning upon the power of God. And I'll tell my friends, I don't know how to completely define when we rely upon God's power and not our power. But I know when we see who Christ is, we see the power of the Holy Spirit come upon Christ. Immediately, I think, the power of the Holy Spirit also comes upon you and upon me as well. That we have the dwelling of the Spirit of God in our lives. The Spirit who helped create the universe, who brought the world into existence just by words. You have Him reigning in your life today. This is why we should expect things. This is why we should see things change in our lives. And don't get me wrong, please, I don't want to use the word expect in a negative connotation. But please, please don't get me wrong. I expect God to do certain things for me. I don't. But I expect God to keep true to his word. How many of you have ever made the, the, the mistake of expecting something from your wife? Yeah. How many of you? I have not. I, I don't do those things. Uh, you know, you can, early in our marriage, maybe, but not anymore. You know, how many of us expect certain things? When we expect something, we kind of have that negative connotation that we, we, if, it, if it doesn't happen, something bad is going to happen. You know, you don't expect things from your wife. Otherwise, things just don't happen at all. And she lets you know about it. I can testify later when we are not in a mixed group. <laughs> where, where it's a safe environment. Uh, no, I'm just joking. But, you know, the word, I don't want you to understand. I don't want you to get confused when we expect something from God to be a negative connotation or us ruling over God, okay? I just want to make sure that's clear because there's no way in the world I would ever put myself above God or we expect things, expect things from God that's not biblical standpoint, okay? I hope you understand where I'm coming from. I don't want to make, I don't, I'll make sure our theology is clear. So but third thing, because he was there, Jesus the Savior, the very embodiment of the gospel, Romans chapter 1, 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation for everyone who believes. The gospel in human form was standing right in front of them. The good news, Jesus Christ was right there, and the power of the Holy Spirit was there to heal this guy. And finally, because of the faith of those who were there, verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, there were many times in Jesus' ministry, he could not heal because lack of faith. Mark chapter 5, 5 and 6, and he could do no mighty work there except that his hands laid on a few sick people and healed them, and they marveled because of their unbelief. My friends, I, I want to ask you a question because this is, this is core to my heart. Did you expect miraculous things to happen today? You expect miraculous things to take place from the Holy Spirit and the power of God Almighty. In Acts, it says later on in the last days, your young men will have visions and we will dream dreams and things. We still live in the book of Acts. We act like we don't. We act like the, the, the miracles and, and the prophecies and, and the end time. We act like it's all gone away. And Sunday is just another day that we come together and we worship together and we hear good sermons. 
But really, in the book of Acts, you see people who do miraculous things because the power of the Holy Spirit was upon these people. <coughs> the power of the Holy Spirit that was upon those people or upon you as well. And once you understand that, that is huge. That is huge. Verse 18, do not do anything about the cause, the, the paralysis. Don't do anything about the cause or the duration of the man's paralysis. We don't know how long this guy had been lame. We don't know long, how long he had been not able to walk. We don't know if it was a birth defect. We don't know if it was a childhood issue. <clears throat> we don't know any of those things that took place. We just know that when someone had an issue, when they had a, an element, when they were hungry, who did they go see? They would go see Jesus. They would go to the Christ. They would go to the one who could solve the issues. They would go to the one that could cause dead people to raise from the grave. They would go to the one that had the power. The plan, verse 18, his friends were seeking to bring him and lay him before Jesus. What a great plan. Have you ever had a plan before? And you had everything marked out and everything was, was right on target and your plan was going to be perfect and all of a sudden your plan just didn't work out? Happens almost every Sunday. Happens almost every day with a, with a little two-year-old baby that you're, you're trying to catch up with. A lot of times in our lives say we have things planned out and those things don't always go according to plan. But I want you to understand that these four guys knew a person. How many people know a person who's got issues? Yeah, everyone's got issues. You don't believe me, work in HR. Everyone's got issues. That's <laughs> the truth, isn't it? I mean, you manage people, you deal with people, you got issues. Anyway, and this, these four people had this friend who had an issue, and they wanted to solve the issue. They wanted to get this guy in front of Jesus. So they go to where Jesus is at, and Jesus is, there's a huge crowd. Jesus is inside of a home. He's, he's teaching, and he's doing some things uh, very, um, to get the, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees going. He says, I am God, once this guy's lowered down. So they, there's no way to get this guy into the room in front of Jesus. There's too much of a massive crowd. There's too many people who are just wanting to see Jesus. So these guys decided to do something. They decided to go on top of the roof. The roof is flat. This is where a lot of people do, um, they do leisure time up there during the, during the Old, New Testament, Old Testament, Tiberians, a time that people would just get together up on the roof. So these guys go up on top of the roof, and they start tearing the roof apart. Now, how many landlords want some guy doing that? Tearing your roof apart. So they tear the roof apart, and they lower him down to be in front of Jesus. So the original plan didn't work. So instead of just stopping and giving up, they decide to improvise and tear a roof apart and lower the guy down. There are times that Satan is going to throw things in your path, the things that are, are truly a, plan, a path and a plan from God. And Satan is going to do everything he possible can to distract you and to distort you from being able to, got, to do what you need to do. How many times are you blocked by knowing, you know, you're supposed to do something, but the devil keeps on throwing things your way? Well, it's just coincidence. No, it's not. I truly believe you look through Paul's life. He wanted to go to Asia Minor. He wanted to go to so many different places, but the devil prevented him from going. Or actually, I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit prevented him on that one. But there are times in our lives that the devil will block our path. Because how many times does it take for you to give up? How many times of obstacles? How many times of doing, trying to get this thing done, whatever it may be, how many times does it take for you to get distracted and go on about your way? I can tell you honestly, 
praying for children, praying for, for people that are going through hardship, praying for a lot of things, and we don't see the results quickly, a lot of us give up. A lot of us say, Lord, maybe it's not your will, and we give up. But I want to tell you, I think we should make another plan. I think we should be persistent on continuing doing what God would have us to do. And you can ask me the question, well, how do I know if it's God's plan or not? Well, that's a conversation that would take a long time to talk about. And sometimes the answer is, I don't know. I really don't know. But here's the deal, the plan to lower this guy down, focus on verse 19. These friends were desperate and wanted to get their paralyzed friends to Jesus. But the crowd was so big, they just couldn't get around it. I wonder how many times we do this in a situation where we want the work of God to be, to be resolved, but it's not. Perseverance. I think Christians, I think sometimes we are not always strong in perseverance. I I think sometimes we just want to give up. And we would rather be comfortable rather than being persevering. Let me tell so one of my coworkers at work um, asked me, challenged me, whatever it would be, to run a marathon. The date, January 30th. She asked me two weeks ago, Lori and I agreed that she would, she would help me. I'm not a runner. I hate running. Even a foot loose. It helps, but it's not great. Here I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. I got three miles down, did really well. I thought, man, three miles is a piece of cake. Then I'm thinking, 26 miles. Who in their, who in their crazy mind wants to run 26 stinking miles? Only someone who was stupid enough to commit and say, hey, I'll do it with you. Next week, I run five miles. My knee is hurting. My knee is swollen. My wife is saying, Michael, what are you doing? You're 45. You're hot, but you're old. (laughs) Probably not her terms. I have to exaggerate a little once in a while just for my my self-confidence. Michael, you're old. Durr. We're not supposed to call people old. And the ER makes it all better. You're older. Anyway, she said, I don't know if you can do it. don't know if you should do it. But well, honey, I may be 45, but I'm young. Saturday, a couple weeks ago, I run 13 miles. Stupid. <laughs> Just, I could be up here and be a brave man, do my shoulders like people do at, cross, or at um, Planet Fitness and drink their pop as they do it and all that kind of stuff. I, I, was, it was, it was, I was hurt. What did I do when I get home? Because Lori knew what I did. I took four ibuprofen, put my Bengay on, <laughs> put my knee brace on, and acted like nothing was wrong coming into the house. Acted I was all excited, I was bad, I was good. And then later on when she wasn't walking, watching, I was limping around like an old guy. Anyway, 26 miles. A long ways away from 13. Here's what I want to compare that to. With God, we got to persevere. We got to keep on going. Just one more prayer, one more mile, 
one more hello, one more greeting, one more small text that makes differences in people's lives. Just one more. Not giving up when it gets tough. Not giving up when we are hurt. Not giving up when our body wants to stop. We keep on going. We keep on pushing through. We keep expecting God to do miraculous events. One more miracle. One more soul. One more kid learning who Jesus is. Just one more. Where is God asking? Where is God telling you to persevere? These four guys who lowered their friend down could have easily quit. Said it's too rough, it's too tough, it's too hard. We're going to get sued because we're breaking someone's roof in. We can't get to Jesus, so buddy, we're just going to leave you out here and hopefully Jesus will walk on by. They, came, they could have come up with some good excuses. But they decided to do something different. They decided to persevere. And so with this, I want you to understand that the perseverance is what got the guy to where he was supposed to be. And I want to just repeat that scripture one more time. Hopefully I don't lose my spot. But it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Now, that is powerful to be. Not the faith, not the, not the faith of the guy, but the faith of the friends. Because the more I think about that, how much can my faith bring people to Christ? How much can my faith, through the power of the Holy Spirit, please don't get me wrong, nothing on my own. How, how can I influence Jesus to bring people in? To pray for their soul, to pray for their salvation. What can my faith do for the people in my circle? My friends, i got a lot of good Christian friends. And I have a lot of, I call them friends who are non-believers. And those people need to be brought in to the presence of God. And the only way, I think sometimes, that's going to take place is by how I live my life. And how I react to my faith in Christ. You think about your kids who have gone astray. You think about your children who, who have turned their back on God. You think about your, your husband or your wife who are not part of the faith. You think about your, your best friend from high school. You think about whoever it is. And how you and through your faith, through your actions, can draw that people to the Holy Spirit. Now please, get me, don't get me wrong. I want to make sure our theology is correct. That is not by our power. It's not by our will. Not by our, our anything we do but only by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we look at this scripture. Let me get back to my place. Hopefully I can find it. The purpose is to introduce this guy to Jesus. <coughs> and Jesus says, the purpose was to forgive the sins and to save him. It's interesting. When we read the scripture, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Is that really what the four friends wanted? No. I don't want my sins, I don't want this guy's sins forgiven. I want him healed so I don't have to carry him around anymore. I want him to be able to walk, to be able to work, to be able to do the things that he needs to do. But what is, he asks the questions of the Pharisees, because the Pharisees are asking the questions. Well, who, say, who can say your sins are forgiven? Who can truly say that I forgive your sins? And Jesus with his classic, I, Jesus is a sharp guy. 
He is sharp, and I, I love him because he gives that little sarcastic twist with love sometimes. Uh, but I love how Jesus responds. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and take your mat and go home? He does both of these things. He does both. He forgives the guys of sins, but also he says, get up and go home. And this guy is rejoicing and he's praising God and he's excited for what's taking place. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are having a fit. It's like, it's like when I was a kid, we didn't clap in church. We just didn't clap. Not because it was a sin. We just didn't clap. I don't know why. I need to probably ask the pastor someday. But now, when I see people clapping, I rejoice. I, I, I praise God when you see people raising their hands in front of God and worshiping Him. And that makes people uncomfortable sometimes. What do you think about that person who raises their hand? Man, they think they're spiritual, don't they? No. It's not about them. It's about their relationship with God. And I want you to understand that with this time of praising God, we see this man get up and walk. Because Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Take up your mat and go home. Psalms 150 says this, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but glory to your name. John 15 says this, My Father is glorified by this, and you bear much fruit, and show yourselves to be my disciples. Corinthians, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. I think one thing Christians need to do a little more, and maybe I'm preaching to myself, maybe I'm not preaching to you, I think we need to glorify God on a lot more regular basis. I can tell you, I can point out errors. I can point out safety violations and HR violations. I can point out what people are doing wrong. Aren't we good at that, doing that? Man, you see what that person was wearing today in church? Don't get me wrong, I don't do that because I'm colorblind, certain colors. I don't care what you wear, as long as it's appropriate. All right? But the thing is, I think sometimes we can focus on all the negative things. And we want someone just to come in and to accept us right where we are. It's Jesus' job to change that person's life. It's Jesus' job to change that person's heart. It's Jesus' job to change that person's soul. Not your responsibility and not my responsibility. And no matter how hard we try, we are not able to change them. But we have influence through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let me tell you, my friends, I think the church needs to do a little more rejoicing when we see things that God is doing. James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of any kind, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. How many of you want to go through perseverance? How many of you want your faith to be tried? How many of you want to go through hardships? If you do, you're crazy. You're absolutely crazy. You can say, well, I want to be spiritual. I don't care if you want to be spiritual. You're crazy. You really are. If you want to go through hardships, that's weird. And I'm a weird guy, and I know that. Do I want to grow my faith? Absolutely. Are you going to face hardships? Absolutely. You're going to face trials and difficulties? Absolutely. And when we do, we need to rejoice in it. Even when we are praying, God, please heal me, and God doesn't heal us, we still rejoice. We still glorify His name. Even when it takes years for our prayers to be answered, we still rejoice. Because He knows what He's doing. And He is alive. Who do men say that I am today? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is today? Right now, we're going to start preparing for communion. Communion is a time where we are able to reflect upon Jesus. 
I will tell you individually that Jesus says your, your sins are forgiven. You do not have to worry about your sins when you have committed your life over to Christ. Worship team, if you guys want to come up. We have our, our, our containers here, our, our, our bread and our, our juice. If, if you don't have one, there should have been one on your chair. If you don't have one, please John, raise your hand and John will bring some around. But communion, my friends, is a special time. One, because it, communion reminds us that we have been healed. That we have been healed from our sins. That God no longer recognizes our sins when we are believers in Him. That we have confessed our sins to God. So as we take... It may take you a while to get that plastic off. That the bread... The little, the little wafer. This is the representation of Jesus' body. Jesus died upon a cross. And the scripture says anyone that hangs upon a cross is cursed. Jesus became a curse for you and for me. Let's eat together. As we pull back the second layer of foil... The juice represents Jesus' blood. This is the blood that, shed, that was shed upon the cross when the soldier, the Roman soldier, took the spear, stuck into Jesus' side to make sure he was dead, and the blood flowed. As he was beaten, as a crown of thorns was put upon his head, the blood flowed. And the blood is a, is the blood covers all unrighteousness. It covers all sins because the blood that Jesus shed upon the cross for you and for me. When Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, get up, take your mat and go home. My friends, your sins are forgiven. Wherever you are, wherever you've been, You've committed your life over to Christ. Your sins are forgiven. He remembers them no more. As we take the juice, let us proclaim his death, body, and resurrection. I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of miracles. You have healed our bodies. You have healed our souls. Lord, when you look upon us, you see perfection, which I don't see how that is possible. But you see us clothed with your Son, Jesus Christ, who was and who is God. You are in the embodiment, a physical man of God, Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for dying upon the cross for each one of us. Lord, not only for the people in this room, for every person who is watching this online, for all the churches throughout America, throughout all the churches throughout the world. Lord, for everyone, God, you have died. And you are not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance, everyone to accept you as Lord and Savior. Lord, thank you for telling us you are forgiven. Thank you, God, for being the Christ, the Son of the living God. And it's in your name we pray.
Amen.